section ten of early greek philosophy and other essays by frederick nietzsche this librivox recording is in the public domain section ten philosophy during the tragic age of the greeks part four nine whereas in every word heraclitus are expressed the pride and the majesty of truth but of truth caught by intuitions not scaled by the rope ladder of logic whereas in sublime ecstasy he beholds but does not aspire discerns but does not reckon he is contrasted with his contemporary parmenides a man likewise with the type of a prophet of truth but formed as it were out of ice and not out of fire and shedding around himself cold piercing light parmenides once had probably in his later years a moment of the very purest abstraction undimmed by any reality perfectly lifeless this moment un-greek like no other in the two centuries of the tragic age the product of which is the doctrine of being became a boundary stone for his own life which divided it into two periods at the same time however the same moment divides the pre-socratic thinking into two halves of which the first might be called the anaximandrian the second the parmenidean the first period in parmenides own philosophizing bears still the signature of anaximander this period produced a detailed philosophic physical system as answer to anaximander's questions when later that icy abstraction horror caught him and the simplest proposition treating of being and not being was advanced by him than among the many older doctrines thrown by him upon the scrap heap was also his own system however he does not appear to have lost all paternal piety towards the strong and well-shapen child of his youth and he saved himself therefore by saying it is true there is only one right way if one however wants at any time to betake oneself to another then my earlier opinion according to its purity and consequence alone is right sheltering himself with this phrase he has allowed his former physical system a worthy and extensive space in his great poem on nature which really was to proclaim the new discernment as the only signpost to truth this fatherly regard even though an error should have crept in through it is a remainder of human feeling in a nature quite petrified by logical rigidity and almost changed into a thinking machine parmenides whose personal intercourse with anaximander does not seem incredible to me and whose starting from anaximander's doctrine is not only credible but evident had the same distrust for the complete separation of a world which only is and a world which only becomes as had also caught heraclitus and led to a denying of being altogether 
both sought a way out from that contrast and divergence of a dual order of the world that leap into the indefinite indefinable by which once for all anaximander had escaped from the realm of becoming and from the empirically given qualities of such realm that leap did not become an easy matter to minds so independently fashioned as those of heraclitus and parmenides first they endeavoured to walk as far as they could and reserved to themselves the leap for that place where the foot finds no more hold and one has to leap in order not to fall both looked repeatedly at that very world which anaximander had condemned in so melancholy a way and declared to be the place of wanton crime and at the same time the penitentiary cell for the injustice of becoming contemplating this world heraclitus as we know already had discovered what a wonderful order regularity and security manifest themselves in every becoming from that he concluded that the becoming could not be anything evil and unjust quite a different outlook had parmenides he compared the qualities one with another and believed that they were not all of the same kind but ought to be classified under two headings if for example he compared bright and dark then the second quality was obviously only the negation of the first and thus he distinguished positive and negative qualities seriously endeavouring to rediscover and register that fundamental antithesis in the whole realm of nature his method was the following he took a few antitheses for example light and heavy rare and dense active and passive and compared them with that typical antithesis of bright and dark that which corresponded with the bright was the positive that which corresponded with the dark the negative quality if he took perhaps the heavy and light the light fell on the side of the bright the heavy on the side of the dark and thus heavy was to him only the negation of light but the light a positive quality this method alone shows that he had a defiant aptitude for abstract logical procedure closed against the suggestions of the senses the heavy seems indeed to offer itself very forcibly to the senses as a positive quality that did not keep parmenides from stamping it as a negation similarly he placed the earth in opposition to the fire the cold in opposition to the warm the dense in opposition to the rare the female in opposition to the male the passive in opposition to the active merely as negations so that before his gaze our empiric world divided itself into two separate spheres into that of the positive qualities with a bright fiery warm light rare active masculine character and into that of the negative qualities the latter expressed really only the lack the absence of the others the positive ones he therefore described the sphere in which the positive qualities are absent as dark earthy cold heavy dense and altogether as of feminine passive character instead of the expressions positive and negative he used the standing term existent and non-existent and had arrived with this at the proposition that in contradiction to anaximander this our world itself contains something existent and of course something non-existent one is not to seek that 
existent outside the world and as it were above our horizon but before us and everywhere in every becoming something existent and active is contained with that however still remained to him the task of giving the more exact answer to the question what is the becoming and here was the moment where he had to leap in order not to fall although perhaps to such natures as that of parmenides even any leaping means a falling enough we get into fog into the mysticism of qualitatis occulti and even a little into mythology parmenides like heraclitus looks at the general becoming and not remaining and explains to himself a passing only thus that the non-existent bore the guilt for how should the existent bear the guilt of passing likewise however the originating that is the becoming must come about through the assistance of the non-existent for the existent is always there and could not of itself first originate and it could not explain any originating any becoming therefore the originating the becoming as well as the passing and perishing have been brought about by the negative qualities but that the originating thing has a content and the passing thing loses a content presupposes that the positive qualities and that just means that very content participate likewise in both processes in short the proposition results for the becoming the existent as well as the non-existent is necessary when they cooperate then a becoming results but how come the positive and the negative to one another should they not on the contrary eternally flee one another as antitheses and thereby make every becoming impossible here parmenides appeals to a qualitas occulta to a mystic tendency of the antithetical pairs to approach and attract one another and he allegorizes that peculiar contrariety by the name of aphrodite and by the empirically known relation of the male and female principle it is the power of aphrodite which plays the matchmaker between the antithetical pair the existent and the non-existent passion brings together the antagonistic and antipathetic elements the result is a becoming when desire has become satiated hatred and the innate antagonism again drive asunder the existent and the non-existent then man says the thing perishes passes ten but no one with impunity lays his profane hands on such awful abstractions as the existent and the non-existent the blood freezes slowly as one touches them there was a day upon which an odd idea suddenly occurred to parmenides an idea which seemed to take all value away from his former combinations so that he felt inclined to throw them aside like a money-bag with old worn-out coins it is commonly believed that an external impression in addition to the centrifugal consequence of such ideas as existent and non-existent has also been coactive in the invention of that day this impression was an acquaintance with the theology of the old romer and rhapsodist the singer of a mystic deification of nature the colophonian xenophanes throughout an extraordinary life xenophanes lived as a wandering poet and became through his travels a well-informed and most instructive man who knew how to question and how to narrate 
for which reason heraclitus reckoned him amongst the polyhistorians and above all amongst the historic natures in the sense mentioned whence and when came to him the mystic bent into the one and the eternally resting nobody will be able to compute perhaps it is only the conception of the finally settled old man to whom after the agitation of his erratic wanderings and after the restless learning and searching for truth the vision of a divine rest the permanence of all things within a pantheistic primal peace appears as the highest and greatest ideal after all it seems to me quite accidental that in the same place in alia two men lived together for a time each of whom carried in his head a conception of unity they formed no school and had nothing in common which perhaps the one might have learned from the other and then might have handed on for in the case of these two men the origin of that conception of unity is quite different yea opposite and if either of them has become at all acquainted with the doctrine of the other then in order to understand it at all he had to translate it first into his own language with this translation however the very specific element of the other doctrine was lost whereas parmenides arrived at the unity of the existent purely through an alleged logical consequence and whereas he spanned that unity out of the ideas being and not being xenophanes was a religious mystic and belonged with that mystic unity very properly to the sixth century although he was no such revolutionizing personality as pythagoras he had nevertheless in his wanderings the same bent in impulse to improve purify and cure men he was the ethical teacher but still in the stage of the rhapsodist in a later time he would have been a sophist in the daring disapproval of the existing customs and valuations he had not his equal in greece moreover he did not like heraclitus and plato retire into solitude but placed himself before the very public whose exulting admiration of homer whose passionate propensity for the honours of the gymnastic festivals whose adoration of stones in human shape he criticised severely with wrath and scorn yet not as a brawling thersites the freedom of the individual was with him on its zenith and by this almost limitless stepping free from all conventions he was more closely related to parmenides than by that last divine unity which once he had beheld in a visionary state worthy of that century his unity scarcely had expression and word in common with the one being of parmenides and certainly had not the same origin it was rather an opposite state of mind in which parmenides found his doctrine of being on that day and in that state he examined his two cooperating antitheses the existent and the non-existent the positive and the negative qualities of which desire and hatred constitute the world and the becoming he was suddenly caught up mistrusting by the idea of negative quality of the non-existent for can something which does not exist be a quality or to put the question in a broader sense can anything indeed which does not exist exist the only form of knowledge in which we at once put unconditional trust and the disapproval of which amounts to madness is the tautology a equals a but this very tautological knowledge called inexorably to him what does not exist exists not what is is suddenly he feels 
upon his life the load of an enormous logical sin for had he not always without hesitation assumed that there were existing negative qualities in short a non-existent that therefore to express it by a formula a equals not a which indeed could only be advanced by the most out-and-out perversity of thinking it is true as he recollected the whole great mass of men judge with the same perversity he himself has only participated in the general crime against logic but the same moment which charges him with this crime surrounds him with the light of the glory of an invention he has found apart from all human illusion a principle the key to the world's secret he now descends into the abyss of things guided by the firm and fearful hand of the tautological truth as to being on the way thither he meets heraclitus an unfortunate encounter just now heraclitus play with antimonies was bound to be very hateful to him who placed the utmost importance upon the severest separation of being and not being propositions like this we are and at the same time we are not being and not being is at the same time the same thing and again not the same thing propositions through which all that he had just elucidated and disentangled became again dim and inextricable incited him to wrath away with the men he exclaimed who seem to have two heads and yet know nothing with them truly everything is in flux even their thinking they stare at things stupidly but they must be deaf as well as blind so to mix up the opposites the want of judgment on the part of the masses glorified by playful antinomies and praised as the acme of all knowledge was to him a painful and incomprehensible experience now he dived into the cold bath of his awful abstractions that which is true must exist in eternal presence about it cannot be said it was it will be the existent cannot have become for out of what should it have become out of the non-existent but that does not exist and can produce nothing out of the existent this would not produce anything but itself the same applies to the passing it is just as impossible as the becoming as any change any increase any decrease on the whole the proposition is valid everything about which it can be said it has been or it will be does not exist about the existent however it can never be said it does not exist the existent is indivisible for where is the second power which should divide it it is immovable for whither should it move itself it cannot be infinitely great nor infinitely small for it is perfect and a perfectly given infinitude is a contradiction thus the existent is suspended delimited perfect immovable everywhere equally balanced and such equilibrium equally perfect at any point like a globe but not in a space for otherwise this space would be a second existent but there cannot exist several existents for in order to separate them something would have to exist which was not existing an assumption which neutralizes itself thus there exists only the eternal unity if now however parmenides turned back his gaze to the world of becoming the existence of which he had formerly tried to understand by such ingenious conjectures he was wroth at his eye seeing the becoming at all his ear hearing it do not follow the dim-sided eyes now his command runs not the resounding ear nor the tongue but examine only by the power of the thought therewith he accomplished the extremely important first critique of the apparatus of knowledge although this critique was still inadequate and proved disastrous in its consequences 
by tearing entirely asunder the senses and the ability to think in abstractions that is reason just as if they were two thoroughly separate capacities he demolished the intellect itself and incited people to that wholly erroneous separation of mind and body which especially since plato lies like a curse on philosophy all sense perceptions parmenides judges cause only illusions and their chief illusion is their deluding us to believe that even the non-existent exists that even the becoming has a being all that plurality diversity and variety of the empirically known world the change of its qualities the order in its ups and downs is thrown aside mercilessly as mere appearance and delusion from there nothing is to be learnt therefore all labour is wasted which one bestows upon this false through and through futile world the conception of which has been obtained by being humbugged by the senses he who judges in such generalizations as parmenides did ceases therewith to be an investigator of natural philosophy in detail his interest in phenomena withers away there develops even a hatred of being unable to get rid of this eternal fraud of the senses truth is now to dwell only in the most faded most abstract generalities in the empty husks of the most indefinite words as in a maze of cobwebs and by such a truth now the philosopher sits bloodless as an abstraction and surrounded by a web of formulae the spider undoubtedly wants the blood of its victims but the parmenidean philosopher hates the very blood of his victims the blood of empiricism sacrificed by him eleven and that was a greek who flourished about the time of the outbreak of the ionic revolution at that time it was possible for a greek to flee out of the superabundant reality as out of a mere delusive schematicism of the imaginative faculties not perhaps like plato into the land of the eternal ideas into the workshop of the world creator in order to feast the eyes on unblemished unbreakable primal forms of things but into the rigid death-like rest of the coldest and emptiest conception that of the being we will indeed beware of interpreting such a remarkable fact by false analogies that flight was not a world flight in the sense of indian philosophers no deep religious conviction as to the depravity transitoriness and accursedness of existence demanded that flight that ultimate goal the rest in the being was not striven after as the mystic absorption in one all-sufficing enrapturing conception which is a puzzle and a scandal to common men the thought of parmenides bears in itself not the slightest trace of the intoxicating mystical indian fragrance which is perhaps not wholly imperceptible in pythagoras and empedocles the strange thing in that fact at this period is rather the very absence of fragrance colour soul form the total lack of blood religiosity and ethical warmth the abstract schematic in a greek above all however our philosopher's awful energy of striving after certainty in a mythically thinking and highly emotional fantastic age is quite remarkable grant me but a certainty ye gods is the prayer of parmenides and be it in the ocean of uncertainty only a board broad enough to lie on everything becoming everything luxuriant varied blossoming deceiving stimulating living take all that for yourselves and give to me but the single poor empty certainty in the philosophy of parmenides the theme of ontology 
forms the prelude experience offered him nowhere a being as he imagined it to himself but from the fact that he could conceive of it he concluded that it must exist a conclusion which rests upon the supposition that we have an organ of knowledge which reaches into the nature of things and is independent of experience the material of our thinking according to parmenides does not exist in perception at all but is brought in from somewhere else from an extra material world to which by thinking we have a direct access against all similar chains of reasoning aristotle has already asserted that existence never belongs to the essence never belongs to the nature of a thing for that very reason from the idea of being of which the essentia precisely is only the being cannot be inferred as an existentia of the being at all the logical content of that antithesis being and not being is perfectly nil if the object lying at the bottom of it if the precept cannot be given from which this antithesis has been deduced by abstraction without this going back to the precept the antithesis is only a play with conceptions through which indeed nothing is discerned for the merely logical criterion of truth as kant teaches namely the agreement of a discernment with the general and the formal laws of intellect and reason is it is true the conditio sine qua non consequently the negative condition of all truth further however logic cannot go and logic cannot discover by any touchstone the error which pertains not to the form but to the contents as soon however as one seeks the content for the logical truth of the antithesis that which is is that which is not is not one will find indeed not a simple reality which is fashioned rigidly according to that antithesis about a tree i can say as well it is in comparison with all the other things as well it becomes in comparison with itself at another moment of time as finally also it is not for example it is not yet tree as long as i perhaps look at the shrub words are only symbols for the relations of things among themselves and to us and nowhere touch absolute truth and now to crown all the word being designates only the most general relation which connects all things and so does the word not being if however the existence of the things themselves be unprovable then the relation of the things among themselves the so-called being and not being will not bring us any nearer to the land of truth by means of words and ideas we shall never get behind the wall of the relations let us say into some fabulous primal cause of things and even in the pure forms of the sensitive faculty and of the intellect in space-time and causality we gain nothing which might resemble a veritas aeterna it is absolutely impossible for the subject to see and discern something beyond himself so impossible that cognition and being are the most contradictory of all spheres and if in the uninstructed naivete of the then critique of the intellect parmenides was permitted to fancy that out of the eternally subjective idea he had come to a being in itself then it is to-day after kant a daring ignorance if here and there especially among badly informed theologians who want to play the philosopher is proposed as the task of philosophy to conceive the absolute by means of consciousness perhaps even in the form the absolute is already extant else how could it be sought as hegel has expressed himself or with the saying of benecke that the being must be given somehow must be attainable for us somehow since otherwise we could not even have the idea of being 
the idea of being as though that idea did not indicate the most miserable empiric origin already in the etymology of the word for esse means at the bottom to breathe if man uses it of all other things then he transmits the conviction that he himself breathes and lives by means of a metaphor that is by means of something illogical to the other things and conceives of their existence as a breathing according to human analogy now the original meaning of the word soon becomes effaced so much however still remains that man conceives of the existence of other things according to the analogy of his own existence therefore anthropomorphically and at any rate by means of an illogical transmission even to man therefore apart from that transmission the proposition i breathe therefore a being exists is quite insufficient since against it the same objection must be made as against the ambulo ergo sum or ergo est twelve the other idea of greater import than that of the existent and likewise invented already by parmenides although not yet so clearly applied as by his disciple zeno is the idea of the infinite nothing infinite can exist for from such an assumption the contradictory idea of a perfect infinitude would result since now our actuality our existing world everywhere shows the character of that perfect infinitude our world signifies in its nature a contradiction against logic and therewith also against reality and is deception lie phantasma zeno especially applied the method of indirect proof he said for example there can be no motion from one place to another for if there were such a motion then an infinitude could be given as perfect this however is an impossibility achilles cannot catch up the tortoise which has a small start in a race for in order to reach only the point from which the tortoise began he would have had to run through innumerable infinitely many spaces viz first half of that space then the fourth then the sixteenth and so on ad infinitum if he does in fact overtake the tortoise then this is an illogical phenomenon and therefore at any rate not a truth not a reality not real being but only a delusion for it is never possible to finish the infinite another popular expression of this doctrine is the flying and yet resting error at any instant of its flight it has a position in this position it rests now would the sum of the infinite positions of rest be identical with motion would now the resting infinitely often repeated be motion therefore its own opposite the infinite is here used as the aqua fortis of reality through it the latter is dissolved if however the ideas are fixed eternal and intitative and for parmenides being and thinking coincide if therefore the infinite can never be perfect if rest can never become motion then in fact the arrow has not flown at all it never left its place and resting position no moment of time has passed or expressed in another way in this so-called yet only alleged actuality there exists neither time nor space nor motion finally the arrow itself is only an illusion for it originates out of the plurality out of the phantasmagoria of the non-one produced by the senses suppose the arrow had a being then it would be immovable timeless increate rigid and eternal an impossible conception supposing that motion was truly real then there would be no rest therefore no position for the arrow therefore no space an impossible conception supposing that time were real then it could not be of an infinite divisibility the time which the arrow needed would have to consist of a limited number of time moments each of these moments would have to be an atomon an impossible conception all our conceptions as soon as their 
empirically given content drawn out of this concrete world is taken as a veritas aeterna lead to contradictions if there is absolute motion then there is no space if there is absolute space then there is no motion if there is absolute being then there is no plurality if there is an absolute plurality then there is no unity it should at least become clear to us how little we touch the heart of things or untie the knot of reality with such ideas whereas parmenides and zeno inversely hold fast to the truth and omnivalidity of ideas and condemn the perceptible world as the opposite of the true and omnivalid ideas as an an objectivation of the illogical and contradictory with all their proofs they start from the wholly undemonstrable yea improbable assumption that in that apprehensive faculty we possess the decisive highest criterion of being and not being that is of objective reality and its opposite those ideas are not to prove themselves true to correct themselves by actuality as they are after all really derived from it but on the contrary they are to measure and to judge actuality and in case of a contradiction with logic even to condemn in order to concede to them this judicial competence parmenides had to ascribe to them the same being which alone he allowed in general as the being thinking and that one increate perfect ball of the existent were now no longer to be conceived as two different kinds of being since there was not permitted a duality of being thus the over-risky flash of fancy had become necessary to declare thinking and being identical no form of perceptibility no symbol no simile could possibly be of any help here the fancy was wholly inconceivable but it was necessary yea in the lack of every possibility of illustration it celebrated the highest triumph over the world and the claims of the senses thinking and that cloud-like ball shaped through and through dead massive and rigid immovable being must according to the parmedian imperative dissolve into one another and be the same in every respect to the horror of fantasy what does it matter that this identity contradicts the senses this contradiction is just the guarantee that such an identity is not borrowed from the senses End of section 10